0: section 5 the princess and curdie this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by lizzie driver the princess and curdie by george macdonald chapter 6 to 7 chapter 6 the emerald father and son had seated themselves on a projecting piece of rock "'at a corner where three galleries met. "'The one they had come along from their work, "'one to the right leading out of the mountain, "'and the other to the left, "'leading far into a portion of it which had been long disused. "'Since the inundation caused by the goblins, "'it had indeed been rendered impassable "'by the settlement of a quantity of the water, "'forming a small but very deep lake "'in a part where there was a considerable descent.' they had just risen and were turning to the right when a gleam caught their eyes and made them look along the whole gallery far up they saw a pale green light whence issuing they could not tell about halfway between floor and roof of the passage they saw nothing but the light which was like a large star with a point of darker colour yet brighter radiance in the heart of it whence the rest of the light shot out in rays that faded towards the ends, until they vanished. It shed hardly any light around it, although in itself it was so bright as to sting the eyes that beheld it. Wonderful stories had, from ages gone, been current in the minds about certain magic gems, which gave out light of themselves, and this light looked just like what might be supposed to shoot from the heart of such a gem they went up the old gallery to find out what it could be. To their surprise they found, however, that, after going some distance, they were no nearer to it, so far as they could judge, than when they started. And yet they moving did not approach it. Still they persevered, for it was far too wonderful a thing to lose sight of, so long as they could keep it. At length they drew near the hollow where the water lay, and still were no nearer the light. Where they expected to be stopped by the water, however, water was none. Something had taken place in some part of the mine that had drained it off, and the gallery lay open as in former times, and now, to their surprise, the light, instead of being in front of them, was shining at the same distance to the right, where they did not know there was any passage at all. Then they discovered, by the light of the lanterns they carried, that there the water had broken through, and made an entrance to a part of the mountain of which Peter knew nothing. But they were hardly well into it, still following the light, before Curdie thought he recognised some of the passages he had so often gone through when he was watching the goblins. After they had advanced a long way, with many turnings, now to the right, now to the left, All at once their eyes seemed to come suddenly to themselves, and they became aware that the light which they had taken to be a great way from them was in reality almost within reach of their hands. The same instant it began to grow larger and thinner, the point of light grew dim as it spread, the greenness melted away, and, in a moment or two, instead of the star, a dark, dark, and yet luminous face was looking at them with living eyes and Curdie felt a great awe swell up in his heart, for he thought he had seen those eyes before. "'I see you know me, Curdie,' said a voice. "'If your eyes are you, ma'am, then I know you,' said Curdie. "'But I never saw your face before.' "'Yes, you have seen it, Curdie,' said the voice. And with that the darkness of its complexion melted away, and down from the face dawned out the form that belonged to it until at last Curdie and his father beheld a lady, beautiful exceedingly, dressed in something pale green, like velvet, over which her hair fell in cataracts of a rich golden colour. It looked as if it were pouring down from her head, and, like the water of the dust-brook, vanishing in a golden vapour ere it reached the floor. It came flowing from under the edge of a coronet of gold, set with alternated pearls and emeralds. In front of the crown was a great emerald, which looked somehow as if out of it had come the light they had followed. There was no ornament else about her, except on her slippers, which were one mass of gleaming emeralds, of various shades of green, all mingling lovelily like the waving of grass in the wind and sun. She looked about five-and-twenty years old, and, for all the difference, Curdie knew, somehow or other, he could not have told how that the face before him was that of the old princess Irene's great-great-grandmother. By this time all around them had grown light, and now first they could see where they were. They stood in a great splendid cavern which Curdie recognised as that in which the goblins had their state assemblies, but strange to tell, the light by which they saw came streaming, sparkling, and shooting from stones of many colours in the sides and floor and roof of the cavern, stones of all the colours of the rainbow and many more. It was a glorious sight, the whole rugged place flashing with colours. In one spot a great light of deep carbuncular red, in another of sapphire blue, in another of topaz yellow, while here and there were groups of stones of all hues and sizes, and again nebulous spaces of thousands of tiniest spots of brilliancy of every conceivable shade. Sometimes the colours ran together, and made a little river or lake of lambent, interfusing and changing tints, which, by their very gradation seemed to imitate the flowing of water, or waves made by the wind. Curdie would have gazed entranced, but that all the beauty of the cavern—yes, of all he knew of the whole creation—seemed gathered in one centre of harmony and loveliness, in the person of the ancient lady who stood before him, in the very summer of beauty and strength. Turning from the first glance of the circumjacent splendour, it dwindled into nothing as he looked again at the lady. Nothing flashed or glowed or shone about her— "'and yet it was with a provision of the truth that he said, "'I was here once before, ma'am.' "'I know that, Curdie,' she replied. "'The place was full of torches, and the walls gleamed, "'but nothing as they do now, and there is no light in the place. "'You want to know where the light comes from?' "'She said, smiling. "'Yes, ma'am.' "'Then see, I will go out of the cavern. "'Do not be afraid, but watch.' she went slowly out. The moment she turned her back to go, the light began to pale and fade. The moment she was out of their sight, the place was black as night, save that now the smoky yellow-red of their lamps, which they thought had gone out long ago, cast a dusky glimmer around them. CHAPTER Seven: WHAT IS IN A NAME For a time that seemed to them long, the two men stood waiting, while still the mother of the light did not return. So long was she absent that they began to grow anxious. How were they to find their way from the natural hollows of the mountain, crossed by goblin paths, if their lamp should go out? To spend the night there would mean to sit and wait until an earthquake rent the mountain, or the earth herself fell back into the smelting furnace of the sun whence she had issued. "'for it was all night, and no faintest dawn in the bosom of the world. "'So long did they wait unrevisited, that, had there not been two of them, "'either would at length have concluded the vision a home-born product of his own seething brain. "'And their lamps were going out, for they grew redder and smokier. "'But they did not lose courage, for there is a kind of capillary attraction in the facing of two souls.' that lifts faith quite beyond the level to which either could raise it alone. They knew that they had seen the Lady of Emeralds, and it was to give them their own desire that she had gone from them, and neither would yield for a moment to the half-doubts and half-dreads that awoke in his heart. And still she who with her absence darkened their air did not return. They grew weary and sat down on the rocky floor, for wait they would— Indeed, wait, they must. Each set his lamp by his knee and watched it die. Slowly it sank, dulled, looked lazy and stupid. But ever as it sank and dulled, the image in his mind of the Lady of Light grew stronger and clearer. Together the two lamps panted and shuddered. First one, then the other went out, leaving for a moment a great, red, evil-smelling snuff. Then all was the blackness of darkness, up to their very hearts and everywhere around them. Was it? No, far away, it looked miles away, shone one minute faint point of green light. Where, who could tell? They only knew that it shone. It grew larger and seemed to draw nearer, until at last, as they watched with speechless delight and expectation. IT SEEMED ONCE MORE WITHIN REACH OF AN OUTSTRETCHED HAND. THEN IT SPREAD AND MELTED AWAY AS BEFORE, AND THERE WERE EYES, AND A FACE, AND A LOVELY FORM, AND lo, THE WHOLE CAVERN BLAZING WITH LIGHTS INNUMERABLE AND GORGEOUS, YET SOFT AND INTERFUSED. SO BLENDED, INDEED, THAT THE EYE HAD TO SEARCH AND SEE IN ORDER TO SEPARATE DISTINCT SPOTS OF SPECIAL COLOUR. THE MOMENT THEY SAW THE SPECK IN THE VAST DISTANCE, THEY HAD RISEN AND STOOD ON THEIR FEET. WHEN IT CAME NEARER, THEY BOWED THEIR HEADS. YET NOW THEY LOOKED WITH FEARLESS EYES, FOR THE WOMAN THAT WAS OLD YET YOUNG WAS A JOY TO SEE, AND FILLED THEIR HEARTS WITH REVERENT DELIGHT. SHE TURNED FIRST TO PETER. I HAVE KNOWN YOU LONG, SHE SAID. I HAVE MET YOU GOING TO AND FROM THE MINE, AND SEE YOU WORKING IN IT FOR THE LAST FORTY YEARS. How should it be, madam, that a grand lady like you should take notice of a poor man like me? said Peter humbly, but more foolishly than he could then have understood. I am poor as well as rich, she said. I, too, work for my bread, and I show myself no favour when I pay myself my own wages. Last night, when you sat by the brook, and Curdie told you about my pigeon and my spinning, and wondered whether he could believe that he had actually seen me, "'I heard what you said to each other. "'I am always about, as the miners said the other night "'when they talked of me, as old mother Wotherwop. "'The lovely lady laughed, "'and her laugh was a lightening of delight in their souls. "'Yes,' she went on, "'you have got to thank me that you are so poor, Peter. "'I have seen to that, "'and it has done well for both you and me, my friend. "'Things come to the poor that can't get in at the door of the rich.' "'their money somehow blocks it up. "'It is a great privilege to be poor, Peter, "'one that no man ever coveted, "'and but a very few have sought to retain, "'but one that yet many have learned to prize. "'You must not mistake, however, and imagine it a virtue. "'It is but a privilege, "'and one also that, like other privileges, "'may be terribly misused. "'Had you been rich, my Peter?' "'You would not have been so good as some rich men I know. "'And now I am going to tell you what no one knows but myself. "'You, Peter, and your wife, "'both have the blood of the royal family in your veins. "'I have been trying to cultivate your family tree, "'every branch of which is known to me, "'and I expect Curdie to turn out a blossom on it. "'Therefore I have been training him for a work that must soon be done. "'I was near losing him, and had to send my pigeon.' "'Had he not shot it, that would have been better. "'But he repented, and that shall be as good in the end.' "'She turned to Curdie and smiled. "Mam," said Curdie, "'may I ask questions?' "'Why not, Curdie?' "'Because I have been told, ma'am, "'that nobody must ask the king questions.' "'The king never made that law,' she answered, "'with some displeasure. "'You may ask as many as you please.' "'That is, so long as they are sensible. "'Only I may take a few thousand years to answer some of them. "'But that's nothing. "'Of all things, time is the cheapest.' "'Then would you mind telling me now, ma'am? "'For I feel very confused about it. "'Are you the Lady of the Silver Moon?' "'Yes, Curdie. "'You may call me that, if you like. "'What it means is true. "'And now I see you dark and clothed in green.' "'and to the mother of all the light that dwells in the stones of the earth. "'And up there they call you Old Mother Wotherwop, "'and the Princess Irene told me you were her great-great-grandmother, "'and you spin the spider-threads and take care of a whole people of pigeons, "'and you are worn to a pale shadow with old age, "'and are as young as anybody can be, not to be too young, "'and as strong, I do believe, as I am.' The old lady stooped towards a large green stone bedded in the rock of the floor, and looking like a well of grassy light in it. She laid hold of it with her fingers, broke it out, and gave it to Peter. "'There!' cried Curdie. "'I told you so. Twenty men could not have done that, and your fingers are white and smooth as any ladies in the land. I don't know what to make of it.' "'I could give you twenty names more to call me, Curdie,' "'and not one of them would be a false one. "'What does it matter how many names, if the person is one?' "'Ah, but it is not names only, ma'am. "'Look at what you were like last night, and what I see you now. "'Shapes are only dresses, Curdie, and dresses are only names. "'That which is inside is the same all the time. "'But then how can all the shapes speak the truth?' "'It would want thousands more to speak the truth, Curdie, "'and then they could not.' "'but there is a point I must not let you mistake about. "'It is one thing the shape I choose to put on, "'and quite another the shape that foolish talk and nursery tale "'may please to put upon me. "'Also it is one thing what you or your father may think about me, "'and quite another what a foolish or bad man may see in me. "'For instance, if a thief were to come in here just now, "'he would think he saw the demon of the mine, "'all in green flames,' "'come to protect her treasure, and would run like a hunted wild goat. "'I should be all the same, but his evil eyes would see me as I was not.' "'I think I understand,' said Curdie. "'Peter,' said the lady, turning then to him, "'you will have to give up Curdie for a little while.' "'So long as he loves us, ma'am, that will not matter much.' "'Ah, you're right there, my friend,' said the beautiful princess.' and as she said it she put out her hand, and took the hard, horny hand of the miner in it, and held it for a moment lovingly. "'I need say no more,' she added, "'for we understand each other, you and I, Peter.' The tears came into Peter's eyes. He bowed his head in thankfulness, and his heart was much too full to speak. Then the great old, young, beautiful princess turned to Curdie, "'Now, Curdie, are you ready?' she said. "'Yes, ma'am,' answered Curdie. "'You do not know what for?' "'You do, ma'am. That is enough.' "'You could not have given me a better answer, "'or done more to prepare yourself, Curdie.' She returned with one of her radiant smiles. "'Do you think you will know me again?' "'I think so. "'But how can I tell what you may look like next?' "'Ah, that indeed!' how can you tell or how could i expect you should but those who know me well know me whatever new dress or shape or name i may be in and by and by you will have learned to do so too but if you want me to know you again ma'am for certain sure said curdie could you not give me some sign or tell me something about you that never changes or some other way to know you or thing to know you by No, curdie. "'that would be to keep you from knowing me. "'You must know me in quite another way from that. "'It would not be the least use to you or me "'if I were to make you know me in that way. "'It would be but to know the sign of me, "'not to know me myself. "'It would be no better than if I were to take this emerald out of my crown "'and give it to you to take home with you, "'and you were to call it me, "'and talk to it as if it hurt and saw and loved you. "'Much good that would do you, Curdie.' No, you must do what you can to know me, and if you do, you will. You shall see me again in very different circumstances from these, and I will tell you so much it may be in a very different shape. But come now, I would lead you out of this cavern. My good Joan will be getting too anxious about you. One word more. You will allow that the men knew little what they were talking about this morning, when they told all those tales of old Mother Waddlewup. But did it occur to you to think how it was they fell to talking about me at all? It was because I came to them. I was beside them all the time they were talking about me, though they were far enough from knowing it, and had very little besides foolishness to say. As she spoke she turned and led the way from the cavern, which, as if a door had been closed, sank into absolute blackness behind them. And now they saw nothing more of the lady except the green star— which again seemed a good distance in front of them, and to which they came no nearer, although following it at a quick pace through the mountain. Such was their confidence in her guidance, however, and so fearless were they in consequence, that they felt their way neither with hand nor foot, but walked straight on through the pitch-dark galleries. When at length the Knight of the Upper World looked into the mouth of the mine, THE GREEN LIGHT SEEMED TO LOSE ITS WAY AMONG THE STARS, AND THEY SAW IT NO MORE. OUT THEY CAME INTO THE COOL BLESSED NIGHT. IT WAS VERY LATE, AND ONLY STARLIGHT. TO THEIR SURPRISE, THREE PACES AWAY, THEY SAW, SEATED UPON A STONE, AN OLD COUNTRY WOMAN IN A CLOAK WHICH THEY TOOK FOR BLACK. WHEN THEY CAME CLOSE UP TO IT, THEY SAW IT WAS RED. "'Good evening,' said Peter. "'Good evening,' returned the old woman in a voice as old as herself but curdie took off his cap and said i am your servant princess the old woman replied come to me in the dove tower tomorrow night curdie alone i will ma'am said curdie so they parted and father and son went home to wife and mother two persons in one rich happy woman End of section five.